You're listening to the EM Ottawa Podcast. Yes, it's another episode of the EM Ottawa Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Rajiv Thavanathan. Today, we have a very special bonus episode. And before you say anything, yes, I see the hilarity and irony of calling something a special edition bonus episode when we only have one real episode under our belt so far. I don't know if it's going to be actually called a bonus episode. Maybe it'll just be called episode number two. I don't quite know the details of how this is going to play out just yet. You know, and frankly, you probably don't care. But hey, listen, 50% of EM Ottawa podcast episodes are special edition bonus episodes. So that obviously means it's good. I think that's uh, something to write home about. Okay, so what makes this episode so special? This is the CARMS episode of the EM Ottawa podcast. So what is CARMS? It's the Canadian Resident Matching Service. It is how medical students match to residency positions. And this particular episode is geared to give some insights into the application and interview process for all our prospective applicants. For those that don't know this, applying for residency can be a super stressful process. In previous years, applicants would spend months of their final years as senior med students doing electives all around the country, culminating in the Grand Carms Tour, where they travel from one coast to the other being interviewed at various sites they applied to. Well, this used to be the case anyway, at least until COVID hit. This year, there's been major changes, students unable to get as much elective time in emergency medicine, maybe no visiting electives at all, and obviously no one's traveling for all these interviews. Surprise, surprise, they're going to be virtual. When you're a student going through this process, some aspects of it probably seem like an impenetrable black box. And this year, there's probably more uncertainty than ever before. So all that said, I thought, why not have two physicians on this podcast to clear away some of that impenetrable fog, maybe debunk some myths, you know, and hopefully just, you know, bring the stress level down for those going through the process this year. Who better, I say, than our guests today? They are Dr. Lisa Thurger and Dr. Michael Ho. They are the program director and associate program director, respectively, of the five-year FRCP emergency medicine residency program at the University of Ottawa. Lisa is also a fellowship trained in clinical pharmacology and toxicology from the University of Toronto and currently works with the Alberta Poison and Drug Information Services. Now, I should clarify by way of a disclaimer, Lisa and Mike are technically my program directors, at least for a few more weeks. For what it's worth, I don't sit on the Ottawa CARMS committee, nor am I interviewing this year. To be honest, I don't really have a horse in this race at all. I just figured this would be a good venue where we could talk in a general sense about applying to emergency medicine residency programs, uh, not specifically about applying to Ottawa and not even really specifically about applying in 2021, just as a general discussion about the, the interview process. Whew. So without any further ado, doctors Lisa Thurger and Maiko, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thanks so much for having us, Rajiv. Yeah, hey, Rajiv. Uh, thanks for having us. So while we're recording this episode, the applicants have already submitted their applications and are you know, patiently sitting and waiting to get their interview offers in times. I think people often feel like they're, they're not really sure what's happening on the program and during this period. Can you fill them in about like what's actually going on? What, what is the program doing with their files and applications right now? Yeah, I mean, that's the magical question, right? And I know, uh, having been there and done that myself as a CARMS applicant, uh, this is a, a stressful time for everybody. Everybody's wondering how their files are going to get looked at um, and if they'll be invited for an interview. And I know I speak for our program and all the program directors across Canada that we do want this to be as transparent a process for everybody um, because it is an important time. So 
once people's files have been received, uh, the programs will then spend a lot of time taking a look at these files. And I know I speak for our program in Ottawa when I say that, especially this year, uh, given the restrictions that we've had on electives and getting to meet people in person, we're going to take a really deep dive into all of the applications and, and dig quite deeply to try and get to know who these people are um, as med students, as potential residents, and as applicants. So a lot of work will go into looking at these files um, and all the different uh, parts of them. Um, and then from there, um, people will get scores and invited to come and have interviews. Okay, so scores. I think students applying have some idea that the programs will try to assign them some quantifiable value to their application at this point, make some kind of ranking or tentative list even before the actual interviews themselves. And those are by no means final, but broadly speaking, what kinds of metrics go into generating that score? So different programs will use different scoring systems or different data points. Uh, some are objective, some are subjective. I think I speak for most programs, though, and a survey actually was done across the country um, within the last year or two, what aspects of the file programs uh, put more weight in. Um, and I know certainly in Ottawa and a lot of programs across Canada really put a lot of weight in the applicant's reference letters. Um, so in Ottawa, we pay a lot of attention to those. Applicants are allowed to submit three reference letters. Um, they can be from uh, emergency medicine physician, from any other kind of physician. They could be from a research supervisor. Um, they can be on an eMERGE elective or a different rotation. But regardless of where it's from, we do put a lot of weight in those reference letters. And we know, especially now, during the pandemic and the restrictions, that electives were limited. So applicants won't always be able to get letters from emergency medicine physicians, and we understand that. Um, we know that that is a change this year. So what we're asking everyone to do and what people have hopefully done in their files is that the referee was able to speak to the applicant's ability to be a good emergency medicine resident, um, whether it's from a different specialty or not. Whether the referee is from a Royal College program or a CCFPEM program, that does not matter. Um, all letters are treated equally. And whether or not the letter comes from the local site where the applicant is applying from or for somewhere else in the country, that also does not matter. But regardless of the pandemic, we are looking for the same kind of applicants, the same kind of people who will make really good emergency medicine residents, and that doesn't change this year. Um, we're always looking for the same things. We're looking for med students who can become emergency medicine residents who want to be their very best at what they do without doing it at the expense of others. We want team players. We want people who are motivated and driven um, to do the best that they can in residency and show that they have resilience to get through this five years of a very rigorous but rewarding program. And so those are the things that we look for no matter what the year. And especially now, we are looking for that. We just have to try and look at it in a different way as we, as we dig deeper into the file and then through the interviews. Right. It sounds like basically you get, you're trying to get like this like holistic picture of an applicant from a bunch of different data sources. It's interesting to hear that the reference letter is an important one to you because I think sometimes like it almost gets thought of as like an afterthought. Like it's definitely stressful for candidates. Like, oh my God, who am I going to ask? Like, what if they say no? Like, I remember that feeling. It's it's totally nerve wracking. It is like harder than asking someone out on a date, right? It's like putting yourself out there enough to see if they'll actually do it for you. Like Mike, from <laughs> from your perspective, what what do you, what is yeah. it about a reference letter that gives value to you? So um, for reference letters, one of the biggest things I look for um, is what Lisa had kind of just mentioned was that 
do they comment on um, that individual's ability to be a good eMERGE doc? I would hope that the referee could speak to something to the fact that this particular candidate understands what it is to be an emergency doctor and whether or not that they think the candidate can can do it as a career. Um, some other things that I like to see on the letters are, you know, do they do they get along well with the other eMERGE docs in the area? Do they, do they have good bedside manner? For me, it's it's nice to see those types of things because I, we match a resident, uh, that's a five-year commitment in most cases. And we want to be able to uh, work in the same environment together uh, in a collegial, collaborative, uh, harmonious type situation, right? Yeah, teamwork has got to be right at the top of the list. I mean, ultimately, CARMS is about, can I hang out with this person every day for five years? Yeah, that's the easy way to say it, for sure. So I asked our chief residents this year, um, you know, what are some common themes that have come up in their conversations with pr- prospective applicants? And one thing that came up is that students sometimes feel like they're, you know, late in deciding that they want to pursue Emerge as a residency or as a career. And they feel that maybe their CV or their elective list or what have you doesn't reflect their like newfound interest. Like maybe they had like a bunch of stuff in anesthesia before and then decided to change, like whatever. Um, is this feeling of like being late to the party or trying to pivot at the last second is that something that they need to address during interviews or is that is that a ding against them at all? I mean, I think that's something that they hopefully addressed in their personal letter. Um, you know, sort of the big three things we look at in their file are their reference letters, their CV, uh, and their personal letter. And I think where the personal letter shines through is when we do have a med student who has in fact done that. They've come late to emerge. Uh, they thought they were gunning for surgery, and then they do their eMERGE elective and say, wow, now I've seen the light. I actually realize that this is the best specialty <laughs> in medicine, um, and now I'm gunning for eMERGE. And they think, wow, I, uh, I don't have any electives in this. What am I going to do? And my CV totally reflects that I wanted a different specialty. And that's a good chance for them to explain that very honestly and upfront in their personal letter. Um, and to be honest, the file reviewers will pick up on that. We can see that. Um, in your electives. And when you're speaking about it honestly in the personal letter, and then we are fortunate enough to speak to the candidate about it in the interview, it's okay to talk about it there. It's okay to just have an honest conversation um, and say exactly that, that, you know, I saw the light and I realized that this is the specialty for me and these are the reasons why. And when an applicant can explain that and it comes through in a sincere way, um, then it means a lot. And it's, it's completely okay to talk about it. And it's not that rare. We see it. We see it quite a bit, actually. Every year, we see it, so it's okay. And I'll add to that too. Um, just kind of, we were just talking about reference letters, but if your referee can also mention that, that'll that'll help your cause for sure. Yeah, fair enough. So pivoting a bit now to like you know that's sort of like some of the pre interview like early application phase um thinking about like you know preparing for the interview itself obviously like a big stress you know i hope at this point like applicants know like they should be able to like talk like intelligently about things like what are your strengths what are your weaknesses you know what are some examples of leadership you know i think that's like fairly like low-hanging fruit that most people would think about one thing that is stressful and that comes up obviously with every subsequent interview it's different for everyone there's a lot of pressure to know the super specific details of each individual program how well do applicants actually need to know that stuff? My, my gut feeling on answering that, Rajiv, is I think they need to know what they're getting into. I think they need to know what they're applying to, to potentially train for five years as a resident. 
do they need to know specifically that, you know, we have this many blocks of this and one block of that? My personal bias is no. Um, I think most emerged programs around the country, generally speaking, offer the same type of curriculum. You know, there are a few things that are unique to specific programs, but I don't personally think that they need to know all the ins and outs of each program. I think it's more important that they know what si- what the city's like, personally. I don't know about you, Lisa. Yeah, to address that question, it's it's not like they're going to get quizzed at their interview um, as to whether or not they understand our program. <laughs> right. They're not right? going to be like, how long, how many weeks is your EMS block? And you're like, I don't know. Like, th- <laughs> that's right. Matter. Although that's, that's interesting. <laughs> we should maybe include that. I'm just kidding. Um, no, we're not there to quiz them on that. Um, the interview is a chance for them to ask us about the program, but they are not judged on how well they know everything about our program and they will not be, be quizzed on that. So obviously one of the big bugaboos this year is the lack of elective time or specifically visiting elective time. Like how, how does a person, if they're not able to do electives and like do two weeks at every single freaking school in the country, how do they decide which program or which site is the best fit for them if they're unable to actually visit these places? That is the magical question, Rajiv. <laughs> um, I just want to sort of start it with my general message that I know Mike and I often give to med students when we meet with them. The good news for applicants is that you will get an incredible education in emergency medicine, no matter which program you match to in Canada. We're fortunate that way. Canada emergency medicine is amazing. And I know I speak for all the program directors across the country that we're all on the same page for this. Um, And we all love our programs and we all have amazing programs. So you will get a great emergency medicine education no matter where you match. The challenge for the medical students is trying to find their best fit and where they want to spend five years um, and train in emergency medicine. And yes, they don't have the luxury of being able to go and do the electives this year, but hopefully most programs across Canada have done their best to try and get all the info out about their programs because we know what the applicants are going through. Um, Programs are are hosting one-on-one sessions with medical students. They're having Q&As with their chiefs, with their program directors. They're posting on blogs and various social media platforms. Um, I know in Ottawa, we had a a medical student symposium where we provided uh, teaching sessions in the late fall and winter, and we'll do a few more in the spring um, to try and give uh, medical students a feel for what it's like to be a learner in Ottawa, for example. So there are all those avenues to get to know programs. I realize it's not the same as going and spending two weeks in Ottawa and skating on the canal and having a beaver tail and skiing in Gatineau, but hopefully they're reaching out and hopefully they know that all the programs, the, the leadership and the residents are there to answer any questions they have. It's, you know, it's not perfect, but everyone's doing their best because we know that everyone is in the same boat. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's not even just a matter of like selling yourself to a program like, hey, I think I'd be great for, you know, Edmonton, or I'd be great for Vancouver. Sometimes like as a as a person who's making as an applicant making a commitment to move somewhere for five years, it's it's a big deal too. like you want to be confident going in. Like I remember my electives, all the places I applied to, I was like, you know, I I did, I had a great time there. I'm sure I would be happy if I ended up there kind of thing. Um, It might feel like a bigger gamble if they don't have that experience having worked here already, like just from... It might. I mean, I think people have to be ready to kind of live anywhere. And hopefully that's a a skill or a trait that people have. Um, But, you know, they do have to remember that, you know, it's not just us picking you. It's like you said, Rajiv, they're picking us. And they have to decide where they want to be for five years. They have to pick sort of their top three things that they want in a program. I mean, I remember it almost like it was yesterday, going into my interviews and and thinking of the top three things that I want, although 
right now on the spot, I can only remember two, but I remember <laughs> important to me was uh, I wanted to know about their half-day curriculum, right? So teaching was super important to me, and I wanted to hear a lot about that. And I wanted to hear about the social part of their program and, and what residents do to have fun and stay active, because to me, that was super important. So my advice to the students would be to take your top two or three things that you want in a program, go in and, and dive deep into that and find out if that works for you. Mike, you mentioned earlier, like, you know, one of the biggest things that applicants should think about, and Lisa, you just alluded to this too, is just like, you know, deciding what city you want to be in is like a major, like sort of pillar of this, you know, how do you rank a, a program or how do you decide where you want to go? Do you have any suggestions for the applicants about like how to talk honestly and frankly about wanting to be in a city that maybe they've never been, you know, or at least maybe never worked in, like it's different in previous years, you know, obviously they could do electives and say, oh, I love being here. I got to do X, Y, Z. I, I know I'd be ha super happy in Winnipeg. You know, that might be a bit tougher this year. Do you have any sort of thoughts about how to approach that? Yeah, so individuals can tap on their own previous experiences if they've traveled around the country, for sure. That that seems natural. Like if you've ever been to that city, you kind of understand what it's like. Um, one of the big things that you can do, of course, is ask around or you can ask the um, the residents within that program. You know, if there's someone that's interested in the program, but they, for example, live in London or if they live in Alberta, we can often connect them with one of our residents who did the move from that, that location to Ottawa. And they can describe to that medical student what they went through and what the difference is in Ottawa compared to home and what their, their experience in Ottawa has been. And I think that's definitely very valuable. And we're happy to make that connection for any prospective medical student, for sure. Thanks, Mike. Lisa, you mentioned the importance of figuring out, you know, that how do I fit in with this program socially or personality wise? I know, ultimately, as you said, most programs are way more similar than they are different. But I was wondering, and I, I know this might be a controversial topic, but what are your thoughts on residency programs use of social media? Obviously, it's been a big deal this year. I feel like there's been like a, a huge explosion in like individual programs having like Instagram accounts, like that kind of stuff. Do you feel like it's a realistic representation of what residency life is like, or what being in a program for five years is like? Or is it like social media in other respects where Maybe it's this like idealized version of things that maybe should be taken with a grain of salt. Well, I think it's a bit of both. Um, I have to admit, I'm definitely jumping on the social media bandwagon. I'm loving our Instagram account and loving our Twitter and our blogs, and uh, I'm certainly rolling with it. So it is a lot of fun. And to be fair, that is representative of our program, for example. Those are our residents. Those are things that we're doing, experiences that we're sharing, and it really does represent how people live and feel most of the time. But I mean, full disclosure, there are hard times during residency that, that aren't captured there. There's long call hours, there's you know heavy research projects, there's off-service rotations that people are just not enjoying their time on. And so there are times that just aren't reflected. So I do think it is a bit of an idealized version. Having said that, though, it is still real. And it makes me super happy to see a lot of our blog posts, our Instagram posts, um, and what our residents are doing because, you know, I've been part of those memories and I hear about a lot of those stories and it's what makes us who we are. We choose a, a very diverse group of residents that have a diverse group of interests and we try and just represent that. So I'd say it is a bit of both, Rajiv. So interview day itself... Game time. Camera's on you. How can applicants come across as genuine and enthusiastic about themselves and upfront about their accomplishments without sounding like they're full of themselves or without sounding like they're crazy? Uh, I have some thoughts on that, Rajiv, if I can. My, my take on that is, and it goes back to, you know, 
preparing for medical school interviews way back when. And, uh, but it's the same approach, right? Like, of course, you need to know yourself and you have to be, you have to understand yourself. You have to understand what you should be proud of and, and you know, what you've accomplished. But you have to actually practice talking about yourself. It's not something for most people that comes off the tongue naturally. So that's definitely one thing that I would say is, um, is get some pra- is like is practice. Yeah, I would agree with Mike. I think you have to be polished. Um, you have to think through a lot of potential questions. But practice practice is key. It's like any sport. It's like any activity. Don't be afraid to sit down with friends and practice these answers to potentially common questions that you will be asked. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And if you think back to, if I think back, to, for example, to my CARMS tour, um, and I see and I see it with the you know incoming um, students and cohorts. Um, usually at the beginning of the tour, everyone's really nervous and they're not having any fun on the social. They're all kind of like worried about what they're going to say. And inevitably, by the time you're at the tail end of the tour, everyone's a little more loosey goosey. They're they're actually having fun at the social because they're not as worried about you know what they need to say because they've practiced so much. By that time, a lot of a lot of the students have had you know four or five, six interviews, uh, so they've they've gotten that practice of talking about themselves and then it just then everything's just so much more natural. So this might be a bit of a complicated or even counterintuitive question. Do you think the minimization of elective time, the lack of travel will actually have some unintended benefits to this process? Specifically in that maybe it will be a little bit more equitable in terms of access and more standardized in terms of what programs can look for? I mean, for once, you know, ever, the students who are applying don't have to spend thousands and thousands on travel and accommodations. They don't need to take time off any second jobs, time away as, say, caregivers for family members. Do you see any of that potentially flattening the match process a little, maybe being a bit of a silver lining? I think it's a really important question. And I mean, I'm not going to lie. We are social beings in emergency medicine. We all have similar personalities. And and full disclosure, we like to meet medical students and, and applicants. We like to socialize with them at our social. We like to see them on electives. We like to get to know people and mingle on the interview day. And that's not going to be possible this year. And it's actually not going to be possible next year. But there probably are some silver linings in this, as you mentioned, right? Will this process become more equitable? Will it become more standardized? Um, Perhaps it will for the better. We've begun research into past CARM processes to look at um, how equitable and and how diverse our selection criteria in our process is, whether there's gender bias, etc. And we want to continue to be transparent and improve in these areas. Um, We're fortunate here in Ottawa that we have an EDI committee um, that you know, aims to recognize that bias and discrimination, they're actually barriers in medicine as a whole. And our goal is really just to develop helpful policies on it, foster systems of accountability. Um, and we want to target any bias or discrimination, both in the department and in our residency program and in the CARMS process. Um, we want to ensure that the residents feel that they're supported in these areas um, and they can train to be the best that they can be. So a bit of a long-winded answer, but I think there are some unintended consequences of this, but uh, there may be some silver linings in the end. Yeah, that's super encouraging. And it's obviously a very pervasive problem in medicine and emergency medicine. And it's great to know that there are some steps finally being taken in the right direction, although obviously still a long way to go. Okay, Lisa, my last question for you, and I recognize this is a tough one, but in your years of experience as a program director, is there something that residents keep bringing to you saying that they wish they knew in advance you know, even before CARMS, before residency, whatever, something that looking back, they're like, ah, if I only could go back in, in the past and tell myself this, this is something I wish I knew. 
I mean, I think it's fair to say for that that most residents will tell you they they come into residency, they're so happy they've matched, you know, their top choice, their maybe their top city, maybe their top specialty, hopefully, and they're coming in with eyes wide open. And I think they realize pretty quickly that residency is a lot of work, just as a lot of rewarding things are in life. Um, and you do have to put your nose to the ground. You do have to show some resiliency. But the good news is that hopefully you've chosen a program or been accepted to a program that's got your back, right? It's a program where the resident group is there for you, the staff and the faculty and your program directors are there for you, and they get you through the hard times, you know, the real, real hard times, but the majority of the time is rewarding. And it, um, it reminds me that, you know, most of the things in your life that you don't choose is what actually shapes you. So if you look at it like that, I think five years is, is a nice building block for the kind of doctor you're going to be. But um, sometimes it's hard to, to realize that when you're in the thick of it. LT, that is just a perfect uplifting note to end on, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much, Lisa and Mike, for taking the time to chat with me, especially at this insanely busy time of year as you ramp up into the final weeks of CARMS. I, I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Rajiv. I know uh, we love chatting with you about it. Um, CARMS is a special time. I remember it like it was yesterday. So if I could give any words of advice, just try and enjoy it. I know it's hard, um, but it will be a memorable time. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for having us, Rajiv. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure chatting and uh, we look forward to meeting uh, prospective medical students very soon. And to all the med students out there listening to this, you are so close. You're almost there. I hope this hasn't been a purely stressful, you know, hair pulling out process that you actually learn something about yourself and heaven forbid you actually have a little fun too, that you find some time to relax. And I personally wish you nothing but the best of luck. So that's it for me. One more episode in the books for the EM Ottawa podcast. My name's Rajiv Thavanathan. Thanks again to you, Sang, for generously providing the music for this episode. Follow us on Twitter at EmergeMedOttawa, and you can keep tabs on me on Twitter as well, at Rajiv Thava, that's R-A-J-I-V-T-H-A-V-A. Until next time. Yeah, thanks, uh, thanks, Rajiv. It's uh, it's been a pleasure, and uh, hopefully, this um, was uh, was helpful to to someone, some people, and uh, Mike. Just yeah, <laughs> what? some people. Do you want to try that again, Mike? <laughs> someone, someone, some people. Some people. Uh, not going to make the cut. Um, <laughs> you want to do someone, some people? It's like all right, well.